So today we're looking at Psalm 127. Thank you Aoife for reading it and hopefully you've got the Bible in front of you or you've seen it um, on the screen already and we're going to just explore together what this psalm means and how we can apply it to our lives. And the question I want to start with is what do you like to build? And we like to build different things. Maybe at the moment over the summer you've built a sandcastle and you're really proud of that moment or maybe it didn't go quite so well and it was one of those things you kind of feel like you have to do when you're on a beach but never really works. Um, maybe you've seen those builder bear shops where you spend a lot of money uh, and end up taking away a bear and I'm not really sure if it's building a bear but you make a cuddly toy bear and it's very cute and it's very sweet. Um, Possibly building furniture, a flat pack piece of furniture. Um, that can have all sorts of stress and frustrations as well. Um, or at the moment, as a church, we're looking at our website and rebuilding it. We're doing a website rebuild. That's what they, they call it. And Wes and Hannah and myself, we're looking at content and design. Uh, they're looking at more of the design stuff. I'm maybe thinking a bit more about content. Um, but we're rebuilding it with uh, the company that we... we um, work with on that vision tank and there's a joy that comes with building there's a creation there's a development a design a, de a kind of seeing that the, the whatever it is come together and bring a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction and uh, and pride in a good sense but we can also try to build through our lives other things that are far more challenging uh, we, we like to build a good reputation as a church or as an individual as a workplace as a charity um, as a nation maybe. Maybe people have a desire to build a legacy or to build a home, not just a house. To raise a family, to build a family based on values that God has given us or a career, any number of different things. But as we think about those things, they are couched with uh, a feeling of being overwhelmed, of possibly anxiety, of, you know, the, the, these are things that we lose sleep over because building these things is never straightforward and easy. What are you trying to build at the moment? Are you desperate to protect something, to keep something secure? Are you fearful of what it looks like to raise a, a family in this um, current age? What is your current building project? Well, for me, one of the other things that I've been thinking about rebuilding as a church leader here at Barton, um, along with the elders and staff team and involving you, you uh, attenders and members of the church is how to not just regather as a community, to rebuild community post pandemic, but also to launch a direction of vision for the church. And so I've been thinking about what it looks like to do that. And back in September, 2019, um, we shared a vision as a church, as leaders, and that was uh, quite speedily interrupted in March 2020. And it feels like we didn't really move forward in the way that we anticipated. And so even when we build a vision, even when we have a dream for a church to move forward in a new way, we can find adversity striking and the context changing. And we see, feel like maybe it's been in vain, maybe it's been pointless and purposeless and meaningless. And yet we trust that God's been with us in that. And so as we prepare a vision for 2022, this September, just next month, and as I think about sharing that and what to say and how to lead a church in that vein, I'm all too aware that I need to do it in prayer, in reflection with others, 
with a sense of faith and unity and in readiness that there might be other adversity around the corner that might make it quite hard. And that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. And so that's why this psalm is one that I've chosen to think about and look at and speak about today, because I think it's not just current for my situation and our situation as a church, but I trust that as whatever you're seeking to build and prepare, whatever new season you're entering in September, maybe it's a change of job, maybe it's a change of family situation, maybe it's a house change, maybe it's it's quite a similar phase you're entering, but you're looking ahead at the start after the summer of a new phase, how do we go about these seasons and these changes? And actually, I think it's amazingly liberating and freeing and relieving to enter those seasons, realising it doesn't all rest on us. It doesn't all rest on me as a church leader, on us as a church to get it right, because God is the head of the church through his son, Jesus Christ. Because if we do it with the Lord, it will be far more fruitful and beneficial and productive than if we do it without. And so this message is a message that basically says, if you struggle to switch off, if you get a bit overwhelmed, if your building project, whatever that might be in your life at the moment, is starting to lead to anxiety, to feeling like you, you can't rest, then I wanna say, let's learn to rest. Let's learn to switch off. Let's learn to trust God with our plans and our ideas and our future and whatever we're seeking to create. Let's give that to God and let's remember that he invites us to rest, to find his grace when we feel weary, to find his rest when we're stressed or anxious because life is busy. So the question is, how do we cope in a culture like this in a society and in a church which can be busy well i want to say that unless we learn to rest unless we learn to sleep to know his grace then whatever we do it will be a bit meaningless it will be a bit purposeless it will be about our self-sufficiency and our independence and it won't be fulfilling for god and his purposes the good news of this psalm is this God is building his house, his city, his people, so we can rest in him. We can find rest from this psalm. So where do we get that from? Let's look into it. Let's dive into Psalm 127 and discover the good news that we can find rest because God is the master builder. God is the wonderful city um, watchman. He's the wonderful farmer he's the one that raises his family and so we can rest in him psalm 127 is a wisdom psalm we've looked at different psalms so far there's been psalms about the law psalms that are songs of ascent in worship and this is one of the songs of ascent on the way to worshiping in the temple but it's a psalm of solomon and it's a psalm that encourages us to learn from his wisdom from godly wisdom and apply it into life. And that's why within this psalm, it's highly practical because wisdom is different to just knowledge. Knowledge is knowing stuff, but wisdom is knowing what to do with that stuff. It's applying it in everyday life. And so this psalm is highly practical. As you heard it read, maybe you realise there was stuff about building, guarding, farming, eating, sleeping, 
Uh, cities, fields, bread, children, parents, warriors, arrows, rewards, conflict, enemies, gates, and honour. Wow, what a list. There's quite a lot going on in this psalm. There's not coffee mentioned, but we get the sense of a practical psalm, which means it's relevant for you and for me as it's been inspired by God. So God is building his house. He's building his city. He's caring for his people. And you maybe noticed that first word, unless, and that's repeated twice in verse one, unless the Lord, unless the Lord. Life without the Lord basically is less productive, less fruitful. Life with the Lord reinforces our need for him. Life with the Lord moves things forward. Remember in Ecclesiastes, that book of wisdom um, that we find in the Bible, uses the word vain, vanity, um, meaningless quite a lot. And that's the other word that we see cropping up in those first few verses. So we know that already, unless the Lord is involved in our building project, unless the Lord is involved in guarding the city, it's kind of, uh, there's a negative outworking otherwise. Uh, and that's stressed with the words in vain, unless the builders build with the Lord, they do so in vain. Unless the watchmen stay awake and guard with the Lord, they do so in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. So there's a vanity, there's a issue going on here, which is a is a ineffective work, an unproductive work. A, it's baffling. Why would you do something without the Lord your God? And for the people of Israel, it would have been baffling. Why would we attempt to build the house of the Lord, the temple, unless we did so in a spirit of prayer and worship and ensure that we were doing it in line with his command? And so we need God when we go about building, growing, guarding our everyday life. And we get four images through this psalm that help us to understand that principle. So the first one I've already mentioned, building. And this is building a house, a builder laboring as a house is built. Now we need to work. We can't just sit back and expect God to do it all. Um, God is the one that is the master builder, the one carrying out the effective, productive work that makes a house a home. But we have a part to play. And Solomon knew that. Solomon uh, was David's son. And David spent his early years of his uh, kingly responsibility for Israel in building his own house. But what became very apparent was that the house of the Lord, the temple, needed to be built. And that was going to be Solomon's job. From the, the tent-like tabernacle to the palace, the grandeur of the temple that Solomon would build. And it was going to be fine and it was going to be glorious. And so these Psalms... Um, celebrate that and the people would have worshipped in the temple but when Solomon is writing this the building project has started so this house means temple for Solomon but it could also mean um, personal homes church synagogues whatever we are building that is where God is present and to do that we need his presence with us for it to be fulfilling because otherwise it would be imperfect it would be a letdown to make a house a home, to make a temple something that really is honouring. Because at the heart of God is relationship. 
And so you take relationship out of the house and you have no home. If you take relationship out of what a temple should be and you don't have a, a holy place where you meet with the living God. And interesting, what we discover here is the word house is used throughout the Bible in a number of different ways. And in the Hebrew, the word house mean is linked to the word builder, bonim, and sons, banim. And this wordplay comes up through this psalm. And so the, the house and the builders are a bit like the house or the family and the sons. As you build a home, as you build a house, these words are connected. You do so because relationships are at the heart. And so if, if you, you read through the Kings and through Chronicles, you discover the lines or the houses, the people. Um, it, it's about relationship, the lines, uh, much more than the bricks and the mortar. And so for the house of the Lord to be built, the temple of the Lord to be built, the house of Israel to be built, the people of God to be built, the Lord had to be central. Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labour in vain. That means we do it in line with his ways, in line with his word, in line and by and through his power and his spirit. And with that comes blessing. So that's the first image we get in these opening verses. And it's repeated in the second half of verse one with this concept of the city, not just a house or a building or a temple, but a city being watched, being guarded. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards watch it in vain. So this could well be, obviously, understandably, Jerusalem, the city of God, where the temple resided, where Solomon lived, the capital, Zion. And yet that was a place that was threatened, that was attacked, that needed protection, that needed guarding, that needed watching. And without a system of security, that would be under threat. But as well as a security force, as well as watchmen throughout the night, there would always be the threat of attack, the, the threat of spies getting through um, the watches. And so you needed the Lord to watch the city for it to be safe. And yet, sadly, we know um, that in time that the city would be threatened, it would be sieged and it would be brought to ruins. And the people of Israel were taken into exile. And yet here we read, unless the Lord watches, the guards stand in vain. Think back to Genesis 11. Do you remember a tower, a city that was built? Not with the Lord, but without the Lord. That tower was the Tower of Babel, the glory of men, of humanity. And it failed. It was a failing city without the protection and blessing of God. And then in the very next chapter, chapter 12, God promises to build a people, a nation, a land, a city through Abraham, the gift of promises and the blessing of God. A gift, a blessing, the glory of God, not the glory just of man. It's a contrast. And so in these early verses of this Psalm, these thoughts would be coming through strongly to the people that were worshiping with this Psalm. In the temple. The third uh, image we get is of a farmer rising early to check the, the agricultural land, the fields, that the wheat or the grain was ready for harvest and the hours that it took to make sure of that process. Whether cattle to be fed, sheep to be cared for, uh, 
work to be done on the land, the hour land, the hours were long, they were hard, they were toilsome. There's another translation that wraps it up really helpfully. It's the ESV and it says, eating the bread of anxious toil. And so this image of a farmer, of a worker, of somebody that needs to work by the sweat of their brow to eat the bread of the land. What does that do? That reminds us of the hard work that's required to just survive. And it also reminds us of that curse in Genesis 3, by the sweat of your brow you'll eat. The ground is cursed. You see, the builder needs to build, but it's labour, it's hard. The watchman needs to guard, but they have to stay awake, and that's not always easy. The farmer needs to get up early and stays working long hours in order to bring in the harvest and reap the harvest. But that's hard and it's only by the sweat of the brown. It's toil, it's anxiety, it's tough, it's demanding. But each need to do their work with diligence to fulfil their work. But more than that, more than the hard work of building a sandcastle or a flat pack piece of furniture or a website or seeing a church regathered or seeing not just a house built but a home formed, as well as those things, not just the security and the bread on the table, we need to do so in faith, trusting God to make a house a home, trusting that there would be peace in the city, that the crops would lead to an abundant harvest. And for the people of Israel, they needed to remember that they did this with God. Unless the Lord builds, you labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches you, your city will not experience peace. So what is the solution? Because God doesn't just create, he sustains. He gives gifts of food to people. He gives gifts of peace to people. He gives gifts of a house becoming a home, a temple being a holy dwelling place of God. They are gifts of the creator God who sustains us. And without that gift, life is unproductive, unfruitful, vanity, meaningless. But God's plan is for it to be a blessing uh, of grace and for the gifts that we receive to go to others. So what kind of builder are you? What kind of guard are you? What kind of farmer are you? One that works with the Lord or without the Lord? Am I somebody that works and depends on my self-sufficiency? Seeing the church grow and develop and have a vision based on what I think is best or based on what God has said for us at this time. And I think that reveals the idol of self-sufficiency, which maybe is quite true for all of us in our different areas of work, of responsibility, of whatever it is we're seeking to build. And self-sufficiency is manifested through anxiety, through stress, through neglecting family and friends and church, for the sake of our human effort to build a career, to build a project that we think will bring recognition, identity, and we do so without God. But that is a vanity. It's in vain, it won't be productive, it won't have God's blessing. You see, instead of saying, I can cope, leave it to me. I don't need help. I know what's best, I can figure it out. We need to say, God, I need you. I need help. I can't do it on my own. We need to express our weakness and be people of humility, not 
pride and self-sufficiency, but sufficiency on God, being grace-dependent. Why do we lean that way? Why is it people can often point the finger and say, oh, he can't say no. She's such a perfectionist. First in, last out. It's their way or the highway. Why do people say that of other people, of ourselves, of me? Maybe it's because I seek the idol of self-sufficiency, of I'm strong enough, of I can do it. If Psalm 127 says something to us today, I think it says, don't rely on self, rely on the Lord. He's the one that builds the building. He's the one that guards the city. He's the one that gives us food on the table. And it doesn't stop there because Solomon in his wisdom points us to what we need to do. And it's a word that I'm sure we all love. Sleep, rest, grace. We see that at the end of verse two. For he grants sleep to those he loves. To his beloved he gives the gift of sleep, of rest, of his grace. God gives sleep. We need that. We have our own limitations. We can't keep going without sleep. We burn out. If we burn the candle at both ends, it doesn't end well. We get tired. We have to sleep. And we need a pattern of sleep. We need a pattern of rest, not just daily, but weekly rest. And that's why God gave us the Sabbath to practice. That's why there were festivals and seasons for the people of Israel to gather in the worship, to rest in God's presence with one another, to celebrate his provision, but to move away from the demands of life and work and buildings and cities and toiling and find rest because they're God's loved people. This is what Matt Smithhurst said really powerfully. He said, sleep is our nightly declaration that we aren't God. We aren't God. God, do you remember in Psalm 121, just a few pages back, um, says this of himself. He says in Psalm 121, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will neither slumber nor sleep. Wow. Indeed, he watches over Israel. That's the Lord. He doesn't need sleep. He rested on the seventh day, but he doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't need to. He's the one that watches over you so that when we sleep, we give our work to God, our building project to God, and we go, I rest in you. Now, there's a really powerful um, section in Mark's gospel where Jesus says this in Mark 4. He said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the, the the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Did you notice that? Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. This is the farmer, the worker, that realises their job is to sow the seed. But God's job is to grow the seed. And so we can sleep. God is the one that builds the house. God is the one that guards the city. God is the one that brings in the growth of the harvest. And so we can sleep. In fact, we need to because it's 
a reminder that we are not God, but God is God. Do you remember Jesus sleeping in the middle of the storm? He slept, he was tired, he had served, he had ministered, he was about to do more, he rested. If Jesus could sleep amidst the adversity of a storm, maybe there's a lesson there for us to pause and stop and sleep. But you might be thinking, hold on a minute, I struggle to sleep. Why doesn't God give me sleep? I try, I try and rest, but I find it so hard. Does that mean he doesn't love me? Because this psalm seems to imply that he grants sleep to those he loves. So if I don't receive sleep, maybe I'm not loved. Well, we need to remember that this is a, a wisdom psalm. This isn't a promise that is true in every circumstance, in every situation. This is a principle, a wise principle to apply. And so if we're working, then we're also able to rest. But if we're working too much, maybe we're, we're, we're struggling to rest and switch off and be able to because we're so anxious, because we're overworked and we're overstretched. We also know of conditions, which means sleep is very hard and insomnia is real for some. Not sleeping some nights doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. God loves us and he loves us and he's created us to work but to rest. And when we rest, we thank God and we experience his love because we've been refreshed. And when we don't sleep well, we need to look at our lives and go, what am I doing wrong? How can I reshape my week? Do I need to, to, to create more space to slow down and stop, to be refreshed, to, to do recreational activities, to spend time with friends and family, to spend time in God's presence so that I'm able to rest well. Now, there's no fixed uh, solution to that. And if you struggle with sleep and it's been an issue for you, then I'd encourage you to seek professional help, get people praying with you about that, but also to look at your life and go, how can I, how can I restructure my working hours, my, my, my current priorities? What, am I, what can I control and change? And what is just a bit hard? And so what this Psalm says to us is, God is the one that brings growth and care and protection and harvest. And, and we need to turn around and say to one another, relax, God loves you. And anyway, God's building activity is what counts, not yours. And so we get to this point in verse three and we come across the fourth image, which is of raising the next generation, of children, of families, of parenting. And this is true, not for those just that have children and are parents, but also for all who seek to raise the next generation. Maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a part of kids team, maybe you know children and families in your neighborhood or in your family um, network, even if you don't have your own children. And so what we find here is a message about the blessing, the reward, the heritage of children. And for the people of Israel, this was how God's promises were going to be fulfilled. The promises to Abraham to be a great nation, to be a, a father of many families would be through children being born. And so the house of the Lord would be built, yes, physically through the temple, but also through biology, through ancestry, through the lines of Abraham and here we are with Sol Solomon and his line would continue and would be a blessing. Children are a heritage from the Lord, they are a reward. They're like arrows in the hands of a warrior and there's a blessing if your quiver is full. Image of warriors and, 
and, and arrows and the protection and safety that would be offered with a quiver that is full rather than empty. That image is powerful and it makes sense and it doesn't need a lot of explanation. And this, in other translation, is a behold, look, realize, take note. And so throughout the Old Testament, children are a blessing. And when there's the absence of children, because a lady is barren, a, um, a, a, a wife is unable to bear children, there's heartache, there's pain, there's a sense of suffering, there's a question of why am I cursed? And there's a prayerfulness. And so what do we find? That Abraham's wife, Sarah, is blessed with a child eventually, even in her latter years. That Rebecca, when she can't have children, her womb is opened up and she has twins. And Rachel eventually has children. That the blessing comes, the heritage is fulfilled. That Hannah in the Old Testament, with prayerfulness, seeks God and then is blessed with a child. Doesn't happen every time, but it does happen. God provides the offspring for the Old Testament people of God to find themselves fulfilling and living in the truth of God's promises. How about for us now though? And I think there's a distinct shift from the Old Testament people of God promises to the point of Christ and the New Testament for you and for me. Because then from the fruitfulness of the womb, the fruitfulness of the people of God growing and fulfilling and the Messiah coming, we have a new message, which is fruitfulness and blessing coming through making of disciples. The multiplication, not of just children, but of disciples and churches growing and the word of God going out and the blessing to the Jew and the Gentile. And so suddenly the fruit, the heritage is not so much about children for you and me. It's about disciples, new believers. It's the church of God, the house of God growing. And I think that's liberating because if you're a parent or not, if you're single or married, if you're unable to have children, Whatever your circumstance, you can experience God's blessing, God's love for you in rest and sleep and by being a part of a church community, by being a part of a family that might mean that you can enjoy nephews and nieces or um, children that you can interact with as well. And that is the blessing that is now not just biological, but spiritual. We're all children of Abraham because we're heirs of the promise and a part of his family. Wow, what a message, what a church, what a community. And so the blessing and the heritage of children, yes, but also of spiritual children, of new believers. So what's the the challenge for us here? Well, I think if the challenge before was being busy and overworking and being um, uh, following the idol of self-sufficiency, I think now we need to watch out for the idol of children of everything about being their safety, their health, their education, their future and us missing the promise which is about disciple making. Because I think today that is where the energy goes. The question shouldn't be um, all about the child but all about how we can be disciple makers of our children, of the next generation, of those that are our peers, whatever age, how are we being disciple makers? 
recognizing the role of raising the next generation in the blessings of God, in the ways of the Lord. And then that last verse will make sense. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Now, for a father to have children uh, at a young age would mean that that they would grow up and be men along his side, able to speak against the enemies at the gate, to speak in court, in support and bring about justice. Now imagine many believers standing together against the enemy of the age, against the attacks of the evil one, partners in Christ. Wow, what an image of a stance against injustice, a stance against um, the attack of the evil one, whatever the enemy and opponents may be in court or out of court. And so where does this leave us? This leaves us in a place where we recognise our weakness, we recognise our need for God, unless the Lord builds his house, unless the Lord watches the city, unless we take rest and sleep, unless we raise the next generation in line as being disciple makers, then there won't be a reward and a blessing and a heritage to celebrate. And so we're reminded of verses like this. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. As I create and develop and launch a new vision for Barton Church, as we do that together as a community, unless it is not by my might and by my power, but by the spirit, it will be unproductive. It will be in vain. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Unless we recognise our weakness and our dependency on God's power, on his grace, then it will be in vain. Wow, what a message, but what a liberating message for you and for me today. And so as we look at Solomon, what was his temple like? Well, at first it was glorious, it was gold, it was full of wealth and honour, but in quite a short time, it became a temple that was a poor reflection of God's best and his plan. It was destroyed, it was sacked, and the people were taken into exile. What about the city? Was it guarded? Yes, for a while it was a place of peace, of security. It, it, it lived up to the expectation of what God wanted. But then too, it was ruined, it was defiled, it was sacked, and it was destroyed, and it was invaded. What about the harvest? Well, for many years there was wealth, there was prosperity in a land, there was food and abundance, but then there was drought and scarcity and a siege. And there was exile. What about his family? Well, there was a great number. He had many wives in contrast to what God's best was for him. He had many children, but sadly the relationships broke down. And his children and his family was a disastrous denial of the God that he served. But one came that was greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ. And we read of that in Luke 11. And his temple project is one that he said this, even though I will destroy it, it will be rebuilt in three days. He was speaking of his body. The temple of God is a picture of Jesus. And even though it became the, the complete object of weakness on the cross. It was raised to new life 
in power. And he says, I am the cornerstone of the new temple of the people of God, the house of God. The living stones that are built will endure forever because my kingdom will endure forever. Jesus is the rock upon which the church is built as Peter was commissioned to be the chief apostle in that. Wow. God will build his church. God will build Barton. God will make it a home for many. Guarding the city. Jesus is the gate, the door. He gives us the promise of his protection as he gives us his very spirit, the spirit of peace. Peace I give to you. Security. God's building project. He provides a harvest, not just of food because he is the bread of life, but of peace and righteousness. Wow. What a kingdom to be a part of. And his family will be a generation that grows and develop. And 2,000 years on, it is still growing and developing. He enables us to be a part of that family because God is our father. Jesus is our older brother. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, called to be his disciple makers. God is building his people. God is guarding his people. God is providing for his people. God gives the gift of life and blessing to his people. God is building his house, his city, his people, so we can rest in him. Sleep, receive grace, stop. I'm gonna pray now that that would be true for you and for me. Lord God, I pray that you would build and guard Barton Church for your glory. I pray that you would protect Barton Church for your glory. I pray that you'd raise up the next generation for your glory. And I pray that you would help us to rest in you. That we would know the words of Isaiah 40. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. Amen.